0: We are now a part of the Podbelly Network of Podcast. This is a big feat for us, being that we're surrounded by so many other great podcasts. Some people even have 23,000 followers on Facebook. It's nice to be in such great company. And that's all because of you, our listeners. Thank you so much. God, I love you guys. I wish you would be more offensive about paranormal. I don't like light. It's a bit nutty. I don't believe that it's all real. I love you guys. It's actually the most played podcast.
1: You can't choose between life and death or we're dealing with what is in between.
0: Now tell it before it's too late. Run to the light, okay. baby! I have seen a ghost in my life. It'd be more offensive about paranormal because that's what we do best. Welcome to Graveyard Shift, the podcast from Shift Films. I'm Frankie Campbelletta. Welcome back to Graveyard Shift. I'm your host Frankie Campbelletta. and I am Jeremy David King. Jeremy David 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 King. Jeremy, we are talking about something that we've been excited to share for a bunch of bunch of months now. And I think yeah, that, this is something that we've actually traveled <laughs> and we've been trying to do and we've been trying to successfully get kind of under our belt and we've talked about the Greenbrier Ghost for a while. Yeah, we
1: we actually almost went after this last summer and they remembered us. Yeah, they right. they left a big packet for us. We didn't yeah. have
0: to do much research. We didn't and and the thing is is that that was the great thing. I think we mentioned that in the paranormal pit stops episodes that we were able to kind of just walk right into the National Historic Box and basically just they handed us. Tony was incredible with the Greenbrier Historical Society and thank you so much for everybody that kind of helped and supported and they were so welcoming saved us so much leg work. they were so nice too i mean like we got to go see the marker
1: we actually found the historic marker for the Greenbrier ghost i can't recall what highway that
0: was actually if they go to i think we marked the location
1: Jeremy, oh, on our instagram
0: so they can actually just touch that location and if they're in west virginia or traveling through it's not that far from ohio it's not that far from virginia You can just kind of scoot right up there, and you can actually see an actual, it's the only marker in the United States that actually has a ghost on it. So the idea behind the Greenbrier Ghost having a marker is, is pretty huge. I don't know many national markers, and I think we have the picture on our Instagram, and although Instagram is owned by Facebook, we want to be more on Instagram. We can show you guys pictures that tie in with our shows a lot better. So go ahead, Jeremy, read that Greenbrier Ghost marker, National Historic Marker right here on the side of the road. Right on the top, it says Greenbrier Ghost.
1: Interred in nearby cemetery, Zona Hester Shue. Her death in 1897 was presumed natural until her spirit appeared to her mother to describe how, her, how she was killed by her husband, Edward. Autopsy on the exhumed body verified the apparition's account. Edward, found guilty of murder, was sentenced to the state prison only known case in which testimony
0: from a ghost helped convict a murderer so it's the only known case in u.s history that an apparition actually gave testimony to the death and so this is what we're looking for in season three we are looking for all the paranormal pit stops along the way the the bloody footprints all the things that we had talked about it really comes down to the Greenbrier ghost being probably the most and i would say eastern seaboard because you know winchester house there's a bunch of stuff on the western coast as well but on the eastern seaboard i would put this probably as the best ghost story on the eastern side because it's backed not only by history but it's backed by eyewitness testimony and it's backed by um so many documents court documents and, and we don't see this we don't see this a lot and so we just want to give a big welcome and thank you to jane hughes who did an amazing job of putting this stuff together for us. She is with in Lewisburg, which is an incredible West Virginia destination. I think we mentioned it. It's the coolest, smallest town in the U.S. today. And if you're ever going through West Virginia, you want to stop in Lewisburg and you're going to have a great breakfast at our lovely friends over at the Cornflower Bakery. They did such a good job opening up and making amazing scrumptious breakfast burritos and the man-making. What was that sandwich you got again? The McMano? Uh, you know, I made it up. I think it was called, like, the Farm Boy Bagel or something. It was like <laughs> eggs and bacon. It was great. It was amazing. They bake all their own stuff. So go ahead and visit Cornflower Bakery. Such a cool little place. And we also ate at that amazing, I think, Tony over at the Historic Society. I want to thank her, too, yes. for taking the time to call Max Gibson, who we did not get the chance to connect with. But Max and his wife are actually related to trout shoe. Now, although his name was Edward, he liked to go by trout he was a big fisherman probably yes he was a big fisherman Mm -hmm. um he we know that he was an outstanding human being as far as like looks and he had a voice like an angel and so he could he was actually a very good looking guy there are some pictures that we'll post with this episode online and so definitely could woo the ladies especially at that time and it looks like she, he captured uh, Zona, which is our heroine here. Zona Hester Shoe, Zona Hester. So at the time she was Zona Hester, and then she would marry Trout Shoe or and Edward Shue. Apparently she went. Some of the stuff I found said she went by Zoni. Yeah, she went by, yeah, exactly. And so, like, you know, Elsa went by Elsie and stuff like that. So, we just want to give a thank you and for all the suggestions and all the great food we had in Lewisburg, including that pizza restaurant that was out of this world. Like
1: Hill and Holler or something? Yeah, Hill and Holler. Yeah, I think that's dude. exactly what it, it is. It was
0: really good. Hill and Holler's pizza was out of this world. <laughs> they had good um, beer, too. Great beer, yes. We had some great local West Virginia beer. It was just an incredible town to visit. Even though, I mean, you're in the heart of Confederacy, you're in the heart of the <laughs> South, there is a. There's definitely a, a, a moderate in the aisle type of stance there. Plenty of multicultural. I saw plenty of, you know, pride flags. So definitely have moved past the, the you know, the old south. But, so go ahead, and if it's on your marker, you should definitely go by the Greenbrier Valley in West Virginia, and you'll find a little town called Lewisburg, West Virginia, where we had so much fun. It was just a good time to be had by all. This is, of course, coming where we were staying at the Elmwood, which we had mentioned in the Paranormal Pit Stop. We never did um, tell
1: the story, the real story of the <laughs> you know, finding
0: our, our bed and breakfast. Finding our bed and breakfast, yeah, <laughs> and that's a that's a tale for another day. Today, the Greenbrier case. So hold tight as we get our documents ready. We're going to take you on a journey that is going to be completely unbelievable. The Greenbrier ghost of West Virginia, it's in Lewisburg, in the Greenbrier Valley. And one of the things that we did want to talk about a little bit is the fair acquaintance between uh, Zona Heaster and Aramis, or Edward, Shue, also known as Trout, and how they met. It it seems that he had a little bit of a history with wives, Jeremy.
1: Just a little bit.
0: A couple of them. A couple of them. And so his first wife that he has, a little bit lower in the county range, actually ends up divorcing him and this is tough to do in the 1800s but he ends up she ends up divorcing him because of his abusive tendencies and nature and she actually gets away she actually escapes then trout would go on and marry a second time in another county and this time that wife would meet a horrible fate
1: not unlike miss zona Shue. i mean it's similar.
0: It's very different. It's uh, very scary. There are aspects of that death that are mysterious. It appears that the wife that he had was out in the field and in the wilderness. And she suddenly happened upon a rattlesnake that pursued her. And in the pursuit, his wife fell off the mountainside to her death and broke her neck.
1: Huh. Huh. She, she broke her neck, too?
0: Yeah, she did. Yeah, that's, and that's
1: a coincidence.
0: So, Trout packs up his stuff. The two local sheriffs of the town come up, rule it as a basically a mistake and a sad death, but they rule it as not a murder, just a cause of, you know, falling off the cliff. And Trout, once again, alludes a woman that he had a history of abuse. Now... It is possible that he was an abusive person. And abusive people are not only not always murderers. They definitely kill you in other ways. But to physically kill someone is a very different topic. And so we have to be open-minded going into the case where we have Zona Heaster and in Trout. So when we look at Trout, when we look at this aspect of developing the characters within the Greenbrier case, you have to put in perspective that If you truly believe in a presumed innocence, then you have to give Trout his day in court. As we said prior, Trout had over 120 witnesses that were with him when this neck-breaking of Zona occurred. And so the story of this is that Zona is incredibly awed by who Trout is. He's a handsome guy, and he has a great stature about him, and he can sing like an angel, and they end up You know, falling madly in love, and they go to meet Zona's mother, and Mrs. Heaster is not too pleased to find Trout. With that, she does not give the blessing to their wedding.
1: I think there was, uh, you know, something to her mother having that reservation because he had kind of uh, a bad reputation for his temper.
0: He definitely had that past that I don't think any mother or father would want their daughter to marry into. Now, we don't really ever get into Zona's father, not even mentioned in the no. case. And We are in the year 1897. Um, behind us, there's a lot of room noise, and that's because we're still at the Casey Paracon. This was kind of our last step on our 10-state, 11-state journey. And so when you kind of hear our podcast, you might hear some noise in the background. We thought it was cool to kind of have all the people mingling around the other vendors and meeting interesting people here just kind of give you an update on we always want to explain what the sound is it's very important for viewers and eventually when you get into the story it'll just blend out but getting back to the case at hand there was a little bit of a reputation with with and i I think jeremy that the the mother just she had a funny feeling about
1: it yeah she didn't she didn't she never trusted him i mean i think we can we can go out there and and put that out there even after she did not trust him she did not think this was any sort of accident she was for foul play the entire time
0: she falls ill zona falls ill and she has this young black boy that's kind of like you know trout pays a couple dollars silver dollars to help her out with the housework
1: his name's andy
0: jones and andy jones is basically i think 12 years old at this point
1: 11 or 12, but, you know, not quite a teen yet.
0: And so he was used to coming by the house and, hap- and, hap- and happening to help Mrs. Shue as she was recovering from this illness. Well, Trout asks Jones to go to the house and check on what's going on. He hadn't heard from anything, but just, you know, make sure she's all right, make sure that she's overcoming this, this illness and getting better. And so the young Jones goes out to the house.
1: He goes to the house. He knocks on the door. There's no answer. So he's thinking, you know, at least this is what we we believe, that she must be in bed sick because Shu has asked him to go over there to help Zona because she is sick. He opens the door, and he finds her laying at the bottom of the steps in a pool of blood. He runs home to his mother and tells his mother all about it. And his mother... Says, you've got to go tell Mr. Shue what's happened. So he runs over, tells Mr. Shue. Mr. Shue goes all the way back to his house, takes her upstairs, cleans her up, gets her prepared for the funeral. Puts her in a very old-time style dress. Even for that time, it was not necessarily even the style then. Had a very high, very stiff
0: collar. Correct. And the thing is, we have two pictures of Zona, and we'll post them both. One of them is her death picture, which we just actually found out. I got an email back. It's a post-mortem photo. So this is actually how she looked when she died. And you can actually see this high-neck dress. It's all in black. It's it's allegedly one of her favorite dresses. Is what Mr. Shu talks to about and he's absurdly kind of his actions were very suspicious at this point. Finding out that his wife was at the foot of the stairs, Shu leaves the place that he was at and he rushes home, he opens the door, and like Jeremy says, he goes to the body. Now, here's the question that I have, Jeremy. She's in a pool of blood. Right. Now, if this incident had occurred within an hour or two hours, that blood would have coagulated. Right. Andy Jones saw this and goes to his mom. And then back home to find trout. That's a span of time that we really don't have a lot of record of.
1: No, we didn't see anything that gave a timeline. Exactly.
0: From a true crime perspective, we're always talking about lividity. And if you don't know what lividity is, lividity is the area where the blood pools in the body when it's placed in a certain area. So if I'm laying on my side and I was killed that way... Over time, all the blood in my body would pool to one side, and eventually the coagulation would start to occur, and then the water would separate from the blood. Yes. And in this case, heaster is found in a pool of blood, which I find to be—but this is 1897—and we're going on the word of a man that, I guess, has a little bit of credibility around town. We do know his past. We do know that he had a temper. Right. And so the story kind of builds from there, Jeremy. It kind of becomes this revelation that they're going to go ahead and rule this. They're going to go ahead and bury her. They're going to go ahead and prepare her. And every time anybody comes close to the body, Shu rushes over to her and holds her in a weird way. At the wake, at the viewing, he does the same thing. He keeps the casket closed. The only time that he is not near the
1: body is when the casket is closed. He is like uh he is there constantly unless the casket's closed. When the casket's closed, he's also reportedly in fairly good uh,
0: spirits. And you can actually see the the shoe farmhouse. It's actually a fairly two-story house, fairly big, still has the chimneys. It's a private residence, and there's nothing wrong with driving on a public road and going to see it. We were unable to get in touch with the people that live there, and I'm sure they know the history about the house. But the house is actually located approximately six miles west from Lewisburg on Route 60, and it has kind of like a bluish tint roof, kind of almost like a tin roof. It has a fireplace and it has a little bit of scaffolding out front and a little bit of some columns and stuff. It's a fairly large house. It sits right on the road. You have to kind of picture in your mind that he kills her, he throws her down the staircase, I guess, or the blood is coming from whatever. The blood thing for me is strange because she is ruled that it's a broken neck.
1: Well, I don't know that they knew it was a broken neck at
0: first. Correct.
1: They actually bury her. They bury her. And because of what occurs they end up exhuming her and doing a, another examination and at that time that is when they find out that she has a broken neck
0: that is uh, what i got as well jeremy i think starting with the the trial we got that the first report comes on february 25th 1897 right so she's laid the rest january 23rd 1897 she was from richlands county and so she's buried. You will see E.S. Trout. You will never see Trout. You'll see E.S. Shoe, right? And what that stands for, essentially, is a name by... Aramus is his real name, but he goes by Edmund. So the speculation leads into the case of the body actually being exhumed. This is all written in the February 25th edition of the paper. And so right. everybody's like now kind of have this sounding board within the town. The sensationalism starts to happen. Oh, my God. Something's happened. They're exhuming the body. It was exhumed and done by a guy by the name of Dr. Knapp. Is that what you got, Jeremy?
1: Yes. And it was ordered by Justice McClune, who would preside over the murder trial.
0: Which is also strange because there's another McClune. In the jury. In the jury. They actually list all the jurors' names. And it's strange because at the time, this is still a small town. Right. It has to be invariably small back then as well i don't know why this town would have been bigger back then they disclose that mrs shoe neck had been broken right and that's a that's a strange occurrence here because you know we have the body wrapped up we have the pool of blood we have all these certain things and now they've exhumed the body you're probably wondering right now well how did they exhume the body why would they exhume the body and i guess that only can come from the testimony of Mrs. Heaster, Zona's mother's testament. And before she took the trial, before she took the stand, she had told many people with and without the city that she was having these occurrences that they would later describe as visions until she corrected them on the stands. That is true. On March 22nd, 1897, the circuit court indicts Trout Shu for murder. He's all up in arms. He starts gathering 120 witnesses that saw him there. There's no way I could have killed my wife. I love my wife. Yes, we have our parent disagreements, but this is not who I am. This is not the person I am. Trout threatens to kill himself on May 20th, 1897 from jail. On June 17th, 1897, the date is set. 120 witnesses will defend Shu. On June 24th, 1897, after the testimony. We have the state versus E.S. Shu. Murder of wife. And so what's happening is we have these dates here that run from June 17th. The date is set. And Shu has 120 witnesses. On June 24th, 1897, the court convened on Tuesday with Judge J.M. Newark. State versus ES Shu. Murder of Wife. We have an indictment here. On June 1st, 1897 is the first time the mother of Zona Heaster speaks out in court. And this is where all the history comes into play, right, Jeremy? This is what right. makes this one of the coolest cases in lore, in paranormal, um, on the eastern seaboard. Nothing, Nothing touches this.
1: How about in legal history?
0: And also legal history. She is one of the only people to have an actual marker, a landmark historic marker, and it says... The Greenbrier Bills. Yes. And it's right on the road. You can pull over and you can read the sign. And it goes through this case in a very synopsis-like fashion. But if you guys know us and you know how we run our podcast, we don't do things in synopsis fashion. At this point, we're getting and gathering everything up so that we can actually read from the testimony. Now, her first and second cervical vertebrae were fractured. Atomically, uh, they're known as c one atlas and C2 axis which combines to make the first joint at the base of the skull now this could have occurred in this is Zona's autopsy by three medical doctors on February 22nd 1897 so with the official cause of death being strangulation manual strangulation compounded by a broken neck so he could have killed her he could have strangled her he could have broken her neck there or he could have threw her down the staircase where the fall did it for him it's true. But at the end of the day, we know that is dead.
1: Maybe she even could have fallen. Yeah. I mean, that's a possibility.
0: So to give you more of an example of what's happening in this courtroom, we actually have the entire testimony as it was jotted down. And so what me and Jeremy are trying to do here is actually give you what the emotions were in that courtroom. He will be playing the lawyer that will be questioning Mrs. He- <laughs> Mrs. Heaster, and I will be Mrs. Heaster in my best West Virginia accent, and him in his best West Virginia accent. And you, can't, you can't laugh, because I'm going to laugh.
1: I, I'm going to try not to. Okay.
0: <laughs> and we begin.
1: I've heard that you have had some <laughs> dreams of visions which led us to this post-mortem examination.
0: They saw enough their without me telling them, sir. It was no dream. She came back and told me that he was mad and that she didn't have no meat cooked for supper. But she said she had plenty and said that she had butter and apple butter and apples and named over two or three different kinds of jellies, pears and cherries and raspberry jelly And she says, I had plenty. And she says, don't you think that he was mad and just took down all my nice things and packed them away and just ruined them? And she told me where I could look down, back of Aunt Martha Jones in the meadow in a rocky place that I could look in the cellar behind those loose plank and see it was a square long house and it was hewed up in that square and she said for me to look right at the right side of the door as you go in and at the right hand corner as you go in well I saw that place just exactly as she had told me and I saw blood right there where she had told me and she told me something about that meat every night she came. Just as she did the first night. She came four times and four nights. But the second night, she told me that her neck was squeezed off at the first joint. And it was just as she told me. Now, Miss Heaster, this sad affair, a
1: very peculiar impression upon your mind. And there was not a moment during your waking hours that you might did not dwell upon it?
0: No. No, sir. And there is not yet either.
1: And was this not a dream founded upon your distressed condition of mind?
0: No, sir. It was no dream. For I was wide awake as I ever was. Then if not a dream or dreams, what do you call it? I prayed to the Lord that she might come back and tell me what had happened. And I prayed that she might come herself and tell on him. Do you think you actually
1: saw her in the flesh and blood?
0: Yes, sir, I do. I told him the very dress that she was killed in. And when she went to leave me, she turned her head completely around and looked at me. Like she wanted me to know lo- all about her. And the very next time she came back to serve, she told me all about it. The first time she came in, she seemed that she did not want to tell me as much about it as she did afterwards. The last night she was there, she told me, though, that she did everything she could do. And I'm satisfied that she did do all that, too.
1: Now, Miss Heaster, don't you know that these visions as you term them or describe them, were nothing more or less than four dreams
0: founded upon your distress. No, I don't. I resent that statement. The Lord sent her to me to tell it. I was the only friend that she knew. She could tell and put it confidence in it. I was the nearest one to her. He gave me a ring that he pretended she wanted me to have. But I don't know what dead women he might have taken it off. I wanted her to own a ring, and he would not let me have. it.
1: Ms. Heaster, are you positively sure these are not all dreams?
0: Yes, sir. It was not a dream. I don't dream. I am wide awake to be sure. And I know I saw her right there with me.
1: And you are not considerably superstitious?
0: No, I am not, sir. I was never that way before and I am not now believe in the scriptures? Yes, sir. I have no reason not to believe it.
1: And do you believe the scriptures contain the word of God and his
0: son? Yes, sir. I do. Don't you believe it?
1: Now, I would like it if I could to get you to say that these were the four dreams and not four visions or appearances of your daughter in the flesh and
0: blood. I'm not going to say that and I'm not going to lie. Then you must insist that that's actually
1: a ...appeared in the flesh and blood to you upon four different occasions? Yes, sir. Did she not have any other conversations with you... ...other than that upon
0: the matter of her death? Yes, sir. Some other little things. Some things I've forgotten. Just a few words. I just wanted the particulars about her death. I got them.
1: When she came, did you touch her?
0: Yes, sir. I got up on my elbows and I reached out a little further as I wanted to see people come in their coffins. And I sat up and I leaned my elbow. There was a light in the house. It was not a lamplight. I wanted to see if there was a coffin, but there was not. She was just like she had said she left this world. It was just after I went to bed, and I wanted her to come and talk to me, and she did. This was before the inquest I told my neighbors. There she was, and I said exactly as I told them to you there she was.
1: Now, have you ever seen the premises where your daughter lived?
0: No, sir, I have not. But I found them just exactly as she had told me. It was. And I never laid eyes on that house until since her death. She told me this before I knew anything of the buildings at all.
1: How long was it after this that you had these interviews with your daughter until you did see the building?
0: It was a month or more after the examination. It has been a little over a month since I saw her.
1: You said your daughter told you that down by the fence in the rocky place you would find some things?
0: She said for me to look there. She didn't say I would find some things, but for me to look there.
1: Did she tell you what to look for?
0: No, she did not. I was so glad... To see her, I forgot to ask her.
1: Have you ever examined that place since?
0: Yes, sir. To be honest, we looked at the fence a little while, but we didn't find anything. That concludes the actual cross-examination of what's going on with the Greenbrier case. I think we did a great job, Jeremy. Yes. Um,
1: yes, I do.
0: I do declare. so will declare. As you can see, the case and the actual testimony done by her mom was something that was completely crazy and unforeseen and once again sensationalization happens with these cases as with the Memphis Three which is kind of a weird correlation and a relation but at the same time when you look at that case it was surrounded and shrouded in sensationalism about witchcraft and what convicted those three boys for deaths they did not do and the killings they did not do was this sensationalism of witchcraft of something that they did not do that, that, that the music they were listening to that Metallica had somehow made these kids kill and so it was in 1897 that with these apparitions that come, they try to make her look crazy, like a heretic or a witch. But see, it was 1897, and it wasn't the 1600s. She wasn't getting a Salem witch trial. She was getting an actual trial. Miss Heaster was a trusted woman. She was a respected woman. And when she came to the stand and she told you she had known her scriptures and she prayed to God that she would see her daughter. And the craziest thing about the whole thing is when they do the exclamation, Yeah. It is exactly how her daughter describes it on the stand. And that is what makes the Greenbrier go such a chilling and... Amazing story, and probably the best ghost story ever told legally, historically landmarked. And so, as we close this episode of Graveyard Shift, we want you guys to remember that the Greenbrier Ghost is very much alive still today. You can go to the landmarkers, you can go by the house. It's a private residence, but you know, you can send an email or you can send a letter, try to find the people.
1: I wouldn't go knocking on their door. People just don't respond well to that
0: They really don't plan in, our, ahead. in our research, you plan ahead You ask the local researchers But here's the one thing that I would argue She never found anything by that fence Because she never asked specifically what was by that fence And I wonder, Jeremy I just wonder, after all these years Over 122 years, I wonder What lie beneath that fence
1: I know what it is What
0: do you think? There could be something there, though
1: there, Actually, that's a that's a good possibility Because I mean, they even found blood on the corner where she had probably hit her head. Everything
0: um, that she had alluded to within the case, yes. there was something there. And her she neck gets was so broken, exactly. High, maybe there is something about that fence gate. Maybe they'll see it. Maybe they'll put a new post in there, some kind of new dynamic, and they'll find it. And but Maybe she was afraid of trout and she buried something. Maybe it was the ring that she wanted to give her. Right. I mean, that would be a true mystery. That would be something that could really close off this closure that she had in Miss Easter. Now, you can go visit uh, Zona Shoe. There's a beautiful little church, and they'll give you the address at the Historic Society.
1: It's the soul mm-hmm. chapel. It's a soul um, Methodist chapel. church.
0: Yeah, Methodist church. And the souls is actually um, spelled S-O-U-L-E-S. It's like Soles, right? Soles. Yeah, Sole, and it's a Methodist chapel, and it's a small little church. And you can go there, and right behind the church is a beautiful church. little graveyard. It's over 170 years old, so it's 50 years that church was standing while this all occurred. So it has the history behind it. It got a lot of old people buried there. But a member of the family did that beautiful thing, and they actually put Greenbrier Ghosts on it, to always remember the legacy of Zona Hester Shoe. And it's really strange to me, I guess, that they had left the shoe last name. But as with everything in life... I mean, she
1: was married. She died a married woman.
0: She died a married woman.
1: So, I mean, there was no reason to... To take that away
0: absolutely and so as we close Greenbrier Ghost and we give you some more really important and cool stuff season 3 will be a crash season you guys can just sit there in your car and listen to all our episodes we're trying to keep them around 30 to 37 minutes it's been an amazing time here at the KC Paracom we met some really cool people uh, including people from Podbelly who's trying to get the stuff off the air and hopefully we have features on that podcast we'll see what that happens where we'll that goes see where, where it goes. you should definitely check out um, Podbelly Com, and that's exactly what it sounds like. A little potbelly kid, but it's a podbelly, like a little piggy.
1: I have a podbelly.
0: And just hog out on all the cool podcasts out there. It's been a great time here in KC as we sign off. As always, I am your host, Frankie Campbelletta. And I'm Jeremy David Key. And this is Graveyard Shift Season 3.
1: Ooh. Ooh.